Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the <clears throat> book of Ruth. The title of the message today is A Mother Loved. Last year, <clears throat> a mom in Port St. Lucie, Florida, was arrested for allowing her seven-year-old son to walk <clears throat> to the park <clears throat> less than a mile from her home. She is an advocate of something that is known as free-range parenting. The opposite of being <clears throat> a free-range parent is to be a helicopter uh, parent. Most of us would agree that best parenting <clears throat> is a little of both at the appropriate time uh, in life. If you're free-range too early, it can be dangerous. And if you helicopter too long, it can handicap your child. <clears throat> the question is, are you a free-range or a helicopter parent? Helicopter parenting is a global issue. There was an article in the New York Times that quoted a Norwegian father of three who complained, we have brats, <clears throat> child kings, and many of us suffer from, uh, suffer from hyper-parenting. The article continues that middle-class Brazilians, Chileans, <clears throat> Germans, Poles, Israeli, Russians, and many other people have adopted versions of this as well. <clears throat> the guilt-ridden, sacrificial mother, fretting that she's overdoing it or not doing enough, has become a <clears throat> global icon. In Scandinavia, they don't call them helicopter parents or moms. They call them <clears throat> curling parents. Curling is a, um, a sport where that you uh, people get out in front of <clears throat> the, uh, the stone and they sweep the ice to make sure that the path is as smooth as it can possibly be. Today we're going to see a woman <clears throat> who knew how to care for her children, and she also knew when to let go. Actually, <clears throat> the children she was caring for were grown women and not her own children by birth. Four years ago, I used this same text for a Mother's Day message, and I titled the message Mother-in-Law. It focused on the decisions of Mary in a very difficult, difficult time. <clears throat> you cannot cover the story of Naomi without acknowledging her troubles, <clears throat> but that is not the emphasis of the Mother's Day message here in 2015. The storyline of the book of Ruth is one that <clears throat> ends in the devotion of Boaz to Ruth. It's a story of a a kinsman redeemer. It's a parallel to the <clears throat> redeeming grace of God and our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. But this is not all of the story in Ruth. <clears throat> there is a beautiful story behind the story. It's a story of love and devotion between a daughter and her mother. <clears throat> Actually, a daughter-in-law and her <clears throat> mother. It's the story of Naomi and Ruth beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the days that the judges ruled, <clears throat> there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife <clears throat> and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the <clears throat> name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. <clears throat> they were Ephrathites, from Bethlehem in Judah. <clears throat> they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, 
and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Melon and Chilion died as so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Well, we're going to see three things about a mother, particularly this mother, and I think all mothers. First of all, or hopefully all mothers, a mother's faithfulness is the first thing that we'll see. This story begins with parents making a very hard choice. For the good of the family, there was going to be a move. A move was necessary. In short, the economic conditions were so bad due to a famine that food was scarce. They just didn't have enough, and they had to make a move. We don't know the reason for the famine or how it manifested itself other than that people were on the move, and Naomi and her family were among those who were on the move, who just had to leave. It's not known how long they lived in the place they, uh, uh, how long they lived in the place that, uh, where they went to, but this is a picture of Naomi doing what oftentimes is, in fact, all times, what good families do. In her case, she was supporting her husband. A mother's faithfulness can be seen in her support of her husband, Elimelech, and their move uh, to a different place. Many years ago, my family, or let me just back up and say this, many of your families are like mine in that you came here from someplace else. You're not native Tallahassians. In our case, we came here from Nashville, um, Tennessee. Both Jan and I were raised in Nashville. All three of our sons were born at the Baptist Hospital in Nashville. They've been Baptist ever since they were born. They were born at the Baptist Hospital in Nashville. And uh, Dr. Wilburn Strode was their doctor. And so we were not born and raised here. We were born and raised somewhere else. I'm guessing that most of you, not all of you, but most of you came here for, to go to school and you just stayed or you came <clears throat> because of a job or something along those lines. There's some of you who are what I call old <clears throat> Tallahassee, your old time Tallahassee. You're the ones that have streets and buildings named after you or after someone in your family. <clears throat> you are the Tharps and you are the, the Mayos and <clears throat> there may be others, but, but uh, you have been here uh, long before most of us were here. For the rest of us, <clears throat> we migrated. One day you were given an opportunity <clears throat> for a new job in a, a new place. It was called Tallahassee, Florida. I'd never been, been to Tallahassee, Florida. I'd certainly heard of it. Let me, you know, I'd, I'd never been to it, actually. I'd never been to Tallahassee, Florida. I'd been to Gainesville, and I'd been to some uh, other places. Actually, when I was a pastor in Orlando, I actually saw <clears throat> the Gators play the Seminoles in Gainesville. I didn't, I didn't know anything about the rivalry. I, you know, I didn't know anything about the programs. I, I, and, and back then, I, I really didn't care who won. And I just went to the, to the game, and, and uh, that was my first brush with Tallahassee. But I'd never heard of, of Tallahassee. I've <clears throat> never been to Tallahassee, I should say. 
And for some of you, this was uh, the first time you'd ever been here. For some, it was a, a step up. For others, it meant security. And for others, it was an escape. <clears throat> you just wanted to get away from cold weather. <laughs> and so you came to Tallahassee. Good choice. <clears throat> After a hard day of scraping for food, Elimelech came in and he talked <clears throat> to Naomi about moving. And he said, we're going to need to move because there's a famine and uh, we're going to need to move. And so they had two sons, and unfortunately the sons were named Malon and Chilion, both of which sound like kitchen spices, but <clears throat> for some reason that's what they named them back then. It was not the day of, of uh, Bills and Bobs. And so they go to Moab and they begin a new life only to find what too many of you experienced, that is, she lost her husband. Naomi has been faithful. She's left all that she knew to go with her husband, and now she's left alone with two children, two sons. All of this takes place in one verse. We don't know how long it took in real time. We're not sure how long it it took uh, when they actually experienced this, but it all takes place in one verse. There's no indication that they were people of means. In fact, it was just the opposite. They had to move because they ran out of food. Most people who have means during a time of famine, they stay through the famine and quite honestly, they buy up land and they, they build their, their empire if they are uh, there during difficult times. And Naomi has been faithful and she left all that she knew to go with her husband. And now she's left alone with, with two sons. So here is a mother that like some of you, faced the prospect of seeing her sons move into adult years without their father. A mother's faithfulness finds her supporting her husband, and a mother's faithfulness finds her standing by her sons. Now, I will tell you this about mothers standing by their sons. They will always stand by their sons. I am um, the father of three sons, the husband of a wonderful wife, unless we're around my three sons. And then I'm dirt. I'm nothing. I do not matter. You add grandchildren to that, and I'm less than dirt. I'm muck. It's not a good thing. Mothers typically stand by their children, and she stood by her sons. Were her sons young and in need of a mother's provision, or were they adults in need to provide for their mother? I'm not sure. I I know that it used to be that children were, when they reached a certain age and their parents were getting older, they were concerned about taking care and providing for their parents as they get older. It has been my good fortune to live in a time when that is totally forgotten. And so when, in fact, now that I am in my older years, my sons forget who I am. And I'm sure that I will probably die alone somewhere in a boarding house, 
eating cold soup out of a can. Again, we aren't sure how old Malon and Chilion were, but we do know that they eventually took wives, Orpah and Ruth. There's no mention of children being born to them, so Naomi was not a grandmother, but she was a wonderful mother, and she was a wonderful mother-in-law. We did, she did stay uh, close to them, and uh, she did take care of the family, but there's no indication that she was um, overly close to them. She was just living the life of a responsible, devoted mother. To all of you moms and to all of you dads, I want to offer a word of encouragement. I want you to hear what I'm about to say now. I enjoy saying things that are funny and and all that, but what I'm about to say is very, very serious. There's no question that our children follow a path that we begin for them. There's no question of that. If you could project the path of your children's lives with a straight line, you could determine who they will be when they get past your everyday influence. However, that is not the way that it works. You can begin in the path, but you must understand that life is a broken road. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. There are some really good parents out there, but no parent is perfect. And no child takes a perfect path. And let me say this that we, as children of our own parents, did not take perfect paths. We don't do that. That's not the way that it really works. And like their parents, children are sinners and will make choices that are not best for them. That's out of the will of parents and out of the will of God. Now, you can spend the rest of your life trying to course correct your children. You can spend the rest of your life trying to fix what wasn't fixed when they were 7 or 10 or 11 or 14. You can spend the rest of your life trying to do that. And I will tell you, you will never course correct your children. You will never get your children back to an absolute straight line that doesn't have breaks in it. And the reason is because you can't live a straight line without breaks in it. We will all have breaks in our lives. Or you can be a loving, available, and consistent as you can parent. You can be available to your children. And it isn't that you have no interest or accountability in their lives, in the lives of your children once they grow up and, and, and develop their own feathers. But it does help you to understand that you cannot control their flight pattern once they can fly, once they are independent and can fly. Now, that doesn't take away from you being a good parent. I often think about the time when my sons Nathan and Matthew were in in college over in Mississippi. And uh, they had been in college over there, Nathan probably for a couple of years, Matthew for one or so. And and, uh, they came home, and we always loved it when they, they, it's like that. What time do you think you'll get in? And, And she asked maybe three or four questions, and probably 
three too many questions. And I said to her, and I, I, it was, I do remember this incident. I don't, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember that I was very loving. <clears throat> and I said to her, Jan, these guys have been living on their own for a year or two now. We have no idea where they go, how long they stay out. And just because they're sleeping tonight at our house doesn't mean that we can revert back to when they were 15. They're just not going to tell you that stuff. And it was like a light came on in her head and she said, oh, yep, you're right. Now you have to be careful about that. Your faithfulness to your children doesn't include trying to course correct them all the way into their their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. You can't course correct them in those ages. And and could I say this to you? Will you ever be disappointed? Yes, you will be disappointed. But you can't live disappointed in your children. You can't allow yourself to live disappointed in your children. You must love your children. Even if your children made choices that were just horrendous choices, choices that, that you would have never made and they should have never made, even if your children did things like that, you cannot live disappointed in your children. Can you talk with them? Yes. Can you discuss with them? Yes. But if they read that you do not love them, if they read that, that you do not care for them, It will hurt a relationship and an opportunity that you may have later to help them when they're having a season of the soul and they're looking for some guideposts in their lives. Naomi was a mother of faithfulness. Let's look at her fortunes, a mother's fortunes. We've already touched on the fortunes of Naomi. Her husband died and, and it wasn't too long after that her sons were married and that they died too, and, and she had already lost her husband, and now she's lost her sons, and she's truly alone. Most of you have <clears throat> watched The Notebook, the movie The Notebook. Would you raise your hand if you've seen the movie The Notebook? All right. <clears throat> most of you have watched The Notebook, and, and if you've watched it, most of you have watched it multiple times. I've only watched it once. There's a limit as to how many times I want my heart broken for no reason at all. And I know I'm running a risk here, but if the ASPCA wants to get me to send money, they're going to have to come up with a different tactic because there's some things I just can't look at. And I watched The Notebook one time. It broke my heart. It's almost never that a husband and wife die at the same time. The scenario of, of the husband uh, going to see his wife every day and them striking up a new friendship every day and, and so on. I'll, I'll cry if I tell you about it. So anyway, I won't. <clears throat> Usually somebody is left alone. And more times than not, it is the wife. We have a few, a handful, one or two maybe, three perhaps, widowers in this church. But we have a lot of widows in this church. We have a lot of women in this church 
<clears throat> whose husbands have died, died first. And certainly that's the way that it was with Naomi, with the death of, of her husband Elimelech and now her sons, Naomi is left completely alone <clears throat> with the exception of her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And for them, she feels accountable. <clears throat> she feels a certain responsibility. You can pick that story up in verse 6. Then arose with her <clears throat> daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was, <clears throat> was with her two daughters-in-law. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her da- two daughters-in-law, Go and return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you <clears throat> as you have dealt with uh, the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Naomi did not allow the sentiment of losing her two sons to overcome her sense of duty toward now her two daughters or her two daughter-in-laws. They were still young women, and in that day, they needed to be married. It's different today. Uh, Women are not as dependent today, in fact, maybe not dependent at all on men, but in that day, it was a completely different story. In that day, the women's prospect, or the woman's prospect, was to find a husband. That's just simply what they did. And she felt like that she had a responsibility to them. She was the mother of their husbands, and she knew that they wanted to stay with her, but she also knew that there would reach a, a moment when it would be rather awkward, and she was going to have to. They're going to have to find husbands, and how would they come home and say to her, uh, "Hey, we're I found somebody that I want to date, or I want to, you know, somebody has asked me to go to Starbucks, and and I mean, how <clears throat> how's that going to how's that going to happen?" And so she knew that they had lives to live, and she wanted them to absolutely find somebody and marry them. Naomi was not only alone and accountable, but Naomi was adaptable. She said, I can take care of myself. You guys need to go and find a husband. Now, this may be the secret of being a good mother, is being adaptable. When circumstances change for a woman, she must adapt. She usually does adapt. And it's probably true that in general, women adapt better to change than men. Uh, I'm just, <clears throat> this is no statistical data right here. This is thus saith Randy. You can take it or leave it. <clears throat> but men left alone eat a lot of cereal. <clears throat> we just do. I, I will tell you this. <clears throat> if my wife dies before I do, I'm going to give you a stock tip. By General Mills. <clears throat> because I'm going to eat Captain Crunch like it's my J-O-B. <clears throat> women, when a man dies, women plan the next meal. They just keep on eating and well and doing what they're supposed to do. <clears throat> of course, 
This isn't universal, but I think it's generally true. Naomi knew that she would be okay. Maybe she wouldn't be great, <clears throat> but she would be okay. So she sent her daughters, daughter-in-laws <clears throat> back to their mothers so they might live happily ever after. She sent them, but they wouldn't go. Look at verse 9. The Lord grant that you may rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. That is, your new husband. <clears throat> then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Will, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, I may, <clears throat> that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have <clears throat> hope, <clears throat> even <clears throat> if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It's exceedingly bitter uh, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Even though <clears throat> they were daughter-in-laws, they just adored their mother or their mother-in-law. And this kind of brings us to the end of the message today as we talk about a mother's family. A mother's family, <clears throat> first of all, belongs with her. When my dad passed away, <clears throat> he, he passed away when my son Nathan was only a few months old, actually. So my dad has been gone for over 36 years now. <clears throat> and dad left behind a woman. You saw her picture up there. when she, He married her when she was 15 years old. Uh, my father, had he married her today, would have spent the rest of his life in prison. But... <clears throat> He married her when she was 15 years old. And <clears throat> he, he left behind a woman who was a kept woman. Now, <clears throat> let me just explain to you what that means. She absolutely was a wonderful wife and mother, but she never did anything outside of the home any kind of business whatsoever. <clears throat> my father had a sixth grade education, and my mother had an eighth grade or ninth grade education. And that was it. My father, <clears throat> when he was called to preach, he had his children. I'm the last of nine children, most of you know that, six girls and three boys. He would have <clears throat> his children who were in school at the time to listen to him preach and to write down any grammatical errors that he might have made and to tell him and teach him how he should have said it differently. And so my dad <clears throat> learned to preach by his children correcting his English, by his children correcting his speech. My dad was a very resourceful man. My mother, she had a different assignment. Her assignment was to take care of all of those kids, and she did. She took care of all of us. <clears throat> my mother never drove a car in her life, ever in her life, never drove a car. Prior to my father's death, my mother had never had a credit card. My mother had never written a check. 
My mother could go to the grocery store, but she didn't go to the grocery store because my dad would go to the grocery store for her and get whatever she said. There's a lot that she could do, but she had not been prepared to be as adaptable as Naomi was. So the family turned to the family to take care of my mother. Specifically, they turned to me. Now, we called my mother, the grandchildren called my mother, Mamaw. That's a good Tennessee grandmother name, Mamaw. We call her, and it may be Georgia too, I don't know, or Florida. But called her Mamaw. And Jan and I actually bought Mamaw's house. And we added a a bedroom suite to it, and mother lived with us for seven years until her dementia got so bad that she couldn't uh, stay with us any longer. Now, my mother had dementia that was very much like Alzheimer's, and a lot of, there are a lot of different stages of, of dementia, and <clears throat> we won't go into a lesson on dementia today, but a lot of you have experience with dementia uh, or Alzheimer's in your family. And my mother <clears throat> had that. And we didn't really realize what it was until a few years into the dementia. And that's really the way that it normally works, is you don't realize what it is until something so outrageous happens that you say, well, where did this come from? <clears throat> and that's the way that it was. Now, if you want to know who the real hero in the story is after the the death of my mom, it's my wife, Jan. I I am sure that some of you have done the same thing. But my wife, Jan, with with two children and then a third one came along, my, my wife, Jan, took care of my mother and the household as though she were her own mother. My wife is with her mother this morning in Nashville. And she took care of my mother like she was her own mother. And this is how my family felt. My family felt that mother belonged with family. And I'm not, I'm not giving any fodder or, or taking any shots at anyone whose parent may need to be in assisted living or whatever it may be, because the, again, the day is, is much different and every circumstance is different. But in the case of Naomi, Naomi said, I don't want you to stay with me. I want you to go and live your own lives. They felt like they belonged with her, but she felt like that they needed to go, yet they were bound to remain. They just didn't want to leave her. They cried over it. Eventually, Orpah did as her Mother-in-law Naomi insisted. She went back home. It was a tearful and an endearing departure. And nothing else is really recorded about Orpah. So we don't know other than speculation that she went and changed her name to Oprah. And early on was involved in, uh, well, that's a whole other story, but it's a different message. As for Ruth, It was a different outcome. 
Even though Naomi insisted, Ruth would not go. Verse 14 says that Ruth clung to her. You know what that means? She did exactly that. She clung to her. My little granddaughter, Emerson now, is, is clinging to her mother. And when mom walks in the door, Emerson goes to mom. And that's just the way it is, and it's fine. I mean, every, every child has those times. Emerson can be very, very happy with me, very happy with her daddy, very happy with, with uh, Grand Jan is, uh, is what uh, I'm Pops and Jan is Grand Jan, and very happy with us until mom comes in the room, and then she clings to her mother. This is exactly what happened here. They clung uh, to her. Naomi had <clears throat> become her mother. The words that she spoke to Naomi have served as an inspiration for all kinds of love for a long, long time. And this is our last point today. She was beautifully devoted to her mother or her mother-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. For your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Good parenting is about making wise and loving decisions. It's about providing for our children and making a home for them where they always feel welcome. That being said, good family means that children are devoted too. And the story of Naomi and Ruth is beautiful for two reasons, the wisdom of a loving mother and the devotion of an adoring daughter. Everyone had a mother. Not everyone still does, or at least not one living. Some of us wish we could cling to our mothers today. When I was a little boy growing up in church, my mother had wings, you know. I would sit in church, and I would lean over and lay my head on my mother's wings, and I'd go to sleep. To be honest with you, if she were here today, I'd love to lay my head over on her. I'd love to just love on my mother to cling to her. Others of you can love on your mothers, but for some reason, there's something that has always held you back from saying what you really wanted to say to your mom. This is Mother's Day. It's the day to find your mother and to cling to her. It's the day to call her and, like I said earlier, spend all of the time on the phone with her that she wants to spend. Answer whatever question she asks. Tell her stuff about your life. Tell her what you wore to church today. She's interested in your life. A few years back, a man named Dan Baber honored his mother on Mother's Day by posting an an auction on eBay. And the auction was titled, Best Mother in the World. The winning bidder would receive an email from his mom, Sue Hamilton. Baber promised that the email would make you feel like you're the most special person on the earth. How did people respond 
to Baber's offer? <clears throat> well, during the auction, seven days, the auction seven-day run, 42,711 people went and viewed the eBay item up for auction. That's enough to fill most baseball stadiums. They took a look, and 92 bids were placed. It started at a dollar and finished at $610. It's interesting how many people are willing to pay for what mothers will give away for free. This morning was a message about mothers, but it's really a message to children, an encouragement to cling to your moms.